Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that you give us the grace to enter into this sacred three days, the sacred triduum. Lord our God, I thank you for the gift of Lent, and now I just beg you for the grace to enter into these sacred three days in a way, Lord, that would honor and glorify you. Lord, we thank you for our parents. We thank you for the faith that was handed on to us and for the faith that we strive to live and hand on to our kids. Lord, just give us the the um, the grace and the the will, the, the, the effort to be able to live this sacred three days well, this triduum well, um, but also, Lord, to help foster in our kids a, a willingness to enter well into these days. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Carrie, it's great to have you on today um, instead of tomorrow. So Faith and Family Thursday, I, I guess it should be called the Sacred Triduum Thursday. Uh, well, whatever we're going to call it. I, <laughs> as you and I were talking about the program, um, a, a few of the dynamics that showed up uh, led us into a theme of the importance of creating uh, memories around the Triduum, the importance of fostering faith specifically through how we relate to the Triduum. That that's a um, it, it's a it's an adjunct. It's something that is is connected to, but distinct from. You have to go to mass on Sundays. You have to go to mass on holy days of obligation. Now the sacred triduum uh, has a different feel to it. It has a feel that says, no, this you do this not because of uh, a church law. You do this because of an internal impulse that says. This is who we are. And so that's, it's a different kind of conversation. Like when we've been having with our kids over the last days as we've been doing some arm wrestling and negotiating and conversations with them around, okay, what mass are we going to on Holy Thursday? What mass are we going to on Good Friday? Uh, or what, you know, what uh, commemoration of the Passion on Good Friday? And then where are we going for the vigil? It's, uh, it's one of those things where the kids know there's no like obligation except for an internal one that says, no, this is what Currens, who are Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus Christ, do. This is who we are. And so we make this central. And I'm glad we do that. I'm glad that there isn't, there's, there's very little pushback in the, in the, among the kids. Except for your wife. <laughs> you probably get the most pushback from me. Does it seem odd that Going to the Triduum 10 years ago for me was more exciting and anticipatory. And I was had this stronger sense of seeking the Lord, letting him come and be with us in these holy three days than I do today when I don't have to wrangle a bunch of little kids and toddlers and dress everybody and make sure everyone is ready for those three days and... It's so odd that in my spiritual life, I feel like 10 years ago, I was more ready for it and more eagerly anticipating it than I do this particular Lent. Do you know why? Uh, yes. 
No. <laughs> Do I? Do you think I know why? <laughs> I, I, I'm just wondering. <laughs> this is a trick question. I'm wondering if you have any insight into that. I, I have an idea. I think okay. that in part, it's that the kids relied on us. The kids were fundamentally dependent upon us and therefore had um, a greater docility. They didn't have um, a capacity to disobey in, a, in, the, in, in the way that they can disobey, not disobey, but push back now. Like, oh, you, you, we can't leave you at home. You have to come. You don't get to just say no, and, and you're going to go drive over a friend's house. You can't drive. Right? I do so. feel like you're right. There is a way in which teenagers, in their own will, and their own pre- pressing in on our expectations or the duty that we put upon them, is tiring to me as a mom. It d- drains me of my excitement. It discourages me instead of encourage me. Whereas when they're younger, the eagerness and excitement, and they're d- just a lot more moldable yeah malleable moldable right receptive so that is actually probably one of several reasons why i think you're also older (laughs) (laughs) i mean more tired yeah more tired we we just have less energy we have it's something that you remind me of bedtime quite a bit (laughs) right wait the service starts at bedtime yeah (laughs) darn (laughs) we're we're starting to get into the the grumpy old category you do know 70 year olds are listening to this thinking they think they're old and they're in their You think you have 50s. you don't have energy yet? Just you wait. Just <laughs> I know you it's wait. like when you hear 20-year-olds say, "Oh, I feel so old and I don't have a lot of time left and and I'm looking at them as a 50-year-old thinking, "Nope, they're so young. They're babies." Yeah, it's a it's a different world, right? It's a different world, it's a different thing and I think that uh, it's good to pay attention to that, right? As we are, like the way that we're called to live our lives right now with our family is different than the way we were called to shepherd our family uh, 10 years ago because the dynamics are different in the kids. The kids um, need more. You and I were talking about this regarding Palm Sunday. We were at a beautiful, very reverent, holy Palm Sunday Mass in Latin, and it was harder for the kids because... It was um, a much longer Palm Sunday service than they were accustomed to. And it because it was all in Latin, it's harder for kids to be really attentive. And so um, it's easier to become more of a, a grumbler, right? A grumbler about things. So I one of the things that we do, and, and I share this with you folks as you're listening, is be strategic about the, the services that you attend. You know, you're going to Mass tonight. Go to Mass. Absolutely. So we've been talking about, okay, where are we going to go to Mass on Holy Thursday? Where are we going to Stations of the Cross on Good Friday? Where are we going to go to the Commemoration of the Passion on Good Friday? Kiss the Cross, receive communion, uh, and then have the uh, Proclamation of the Passion. Where are we going to uh, go to the Vigil? And mapping out times, mapping out schedules, mapping out details. What's interesting is you're talking about going to three different parishes. When I imagine most people just go to their one parish, but it doesn't ever feel like we've done that. And we've had Easter in several different cities or towns, depending on where we're traveling. And then just experiencing how they do their triduum is very different from one parish to the next, whether it's the music or the preaching or the the lighting, the setting, the the feel of the parishioners, the faith of the, the the congregation, 
you can definitely sense a stronger faith in some environments than others. And that has a big impact. That oh, really yeah, does. It has sure. such an impact. And and even then just relationships too, right? If we know families that are there, then you have a sense of fellowship. And that's just so important for kids. Yeah. To and be I think, able to see other kids. I think that's why it's probably harder for me is not doing the Triduum with my family and not being a part of a community that we feel like we know know because we've been here for so few years. It's been really hard to do some of these beautiful traditions and feel like you're still journeying to a, a new land. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the, the, the feel of being an exile or being a refugee that, that, that's more common language, more recent language that we've been using. And it is apt in some way that some of the more recent conversations we've had, we've been having more regular conversations with people who are just moving, considering moving, or just got here uh, because of my work with real estate, helping folks move, that it has been a, um, it has been something that uh, is like an open wound, right, for them because of, of that reality that they're in a foreign land right now. And so they don't feel that sense, quite that sense of being at home. So that that's hard. That's harder. Do you have a favorite Triduum that we've done as a family or in your history as a seminarian or as a child? Absolutely. Oh, I've got a whole bunch. You just, what you just said is just, it was like a fireworks display in my head thinking, we better do this systematically or um, <laughs> I'm just going to start jumping all over the place. Because, Seriously? Oh, you absolutely. You have some good... Oh my goodness! Are these hopefully when we were married or no? Are uh, these? Oh, I didn't even get to our marriage. What? I was, I was the seminary. What? I was thinking Rome with the Pope <laughs> and the vigil. Come on, there's that. There's Saint Marie's. That was before I met you. Oh my goodness! Um, come on, there's Saint Malachy's come where on. I grew up. It sounds come like on. some of your better ones were even before we met. I know, I know. What is the? Uh, well, here's the thing. What I wanted to do today, and you inspired it, was let's go back and mine. Let's dig into, let's explore and unearth some gold nuggets from our own family and personal history of the Triduum uh, for the sake of the folks that are listening. You know, you folks listening, you can mine those experiences that you may have had, and, and you can think about that in terms of what's the experience I want to foster in my kids? What are the things that I want to foster in my kids? Good point. So I don't want to just tell a story. I want to be able to mine that story for nuggets. And so I'm going to jump in to a Holy Thursday. I was 18 years old, 19 years old. No, 18. Were you living at home? Living at home. Okay. And I had my awakening of faith. And it was in 19, it was the spring of 1984. How about that? I even know when it was. Excellent. So in the spring of 84, that particular Holy Thursday. I went to St. Malachy's in Burlington, Massachusetts. And what they did at St. Malachy's was after Holy Thursday, they did a procession. And the procession was, you remember, you follow the Blessed Sacrament. Um, I thought that was on Friday. Oh, no, because he dies at... All right. Holy Thursday. (laughs) It's going to take me a while to get these all straight. Okay, yes. Thursday, we do the... After we... Wash feet. That's right. But I'm starting chronologically. Okay. I'm not starting in the in the chronology of the mass, but okay. the chronology of my life. 
so the the particular Holy Thursday that I remember uh, growing up at St. Malachy's was that one in 1984 when, and here here's what it was. When we were processing out, the priest, the pastor, Father Joe, Father Riley, had said anyone who would want to can get out of the pew and then follow in procession to the chapel, which was in the back of the church, and there there would be a time of adoration, exposition until midnight. And I remember getting up and getting, and there were not many people getting up after Father came through. The church was full. I got up, and as I'm walking out on my left-hand side in the pew, I looked in the eyes, the neighbor, Brian, who lived across the street. You have such specific memories. Such a specific memory. And here's the memory that I had. Looking him in the eyes, there was this sense of both of us feeling kind of exposed. I was exposed because I was publicly, visibly witnessing to the fact that I was standing up and I was following Christ into the garden. And I was going to be there to adore him in the Blessed Sacrament. And he was exposed because he was sitting there looking at me and he wasn't getting up and doing it. And to be honest, when I looked at him, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that sense of saying, ha ha ha, I'm following the Lord and you're not. There was a bit of a sense of ambivalence. Like I felt good about the fact that I got up to do that, but I felt nervous. I felt, I don't know. Amb- this is like your first public it was a public stand, witness, uh, a witness of your faith in of Christ. My being a like literally a follower, I was following Jesus. And if you were at that parish, which was packed, it was all the kids you went to high school with because they yes, all went to neighbors. The same. He lived across the street. He was a year behind me in school. Oh, grew up together, and now I stood up and I got out of the pew and I'm following Jesus, and he's standing there looking at me and I'm looking at him and. It, that moment is in my imagination. It's in my memory. I do not forget that moment. And I ended up staying for the entire, it was, I don't know, three and a half hours. You go, boy. That's awesome. Well, That's it, impressive for an 18-year-old who's just mm-hmm. kind of trying to figure out faith. Yeah, well... Wait, did did you have a calling to the I priesthood that, at that point? Well, I, at that point, I had discerned a call into the seminary. And okay. So I was finishing up my second year of college. And so I had gone about... It was about seven or eight months before then that I had that awakening of faith. So I was a kind of a Jesus... So you only stayed till midnight. You didn't go all night. Well, at, at midnight, I, when I was 18, did the oh, all-nighter. Oh, no, no, yeah, no. I at was... midnight, they shut it down. <laughs> Come on. But Jesus is still in you. You could go home and... <laughs> I'm messing with you, honey. I know, but I have a I also have a memory of at adoration which was so striking to me as well. Uh, I'll tell you about that in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with my wife Carrie on this well, it's Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday the Sacred Triduum begins in the evening with the uh, commemoration of the, uh, the the celebration of the Lord's uh, the Last Supper, uh, the Holy Thursday Mass, and uh, today uh, in in this program we are uh, walking through some of the memorable uh, times that we celebrated the Sacred Triduum as, as individuals uh, and together as a couple and in in our own family life, 
with the goal of drawing out insights for our lives of, uh, of faith. So I just, Carrie was finishing up sharing about that time when I was 19, and I stood up and I followed Jesus, and you drew attention to the fact that that was like a public witness in front of my high school classmates, in front of my neighbors, that I stood up and, and very few others were standing up and following like that. Well, I ended up in the chapel in adoration, and that was the chapel where uh, the Lord had uh, revealed himself to me in that intimate, personal way as Eucharist in, in the tabernacle. And so I'm back there now in a time of exposition and adoration. And I, I was, I think I was kind of being kind of like a Superman, trying to be spiritual Superman. Let's like, go. Those are the best years. Oh, I'm just going to push like through. That like 16 to yeah. 24 oh, years old, yeah. sold out for the Lord, all night prayer meetings. That's yeah, exactly those are good. what it was. So I was... Good stuff. I, I probably had been reading some life of some saint, and so I'm like, I got this. I, I'm practically there. Is it, can, you know, is the halo, is the glow coming? I might levitate. You gotta love the confidence and enthusiasm those young-minded kids have. It's okay. it's encouraging. I have never said this out loud to anybody in my whole life. I'm going to share this story with you now. I went, I went to mass. It was a daily mass in the summer. I was probably in the seminary at the time. Maybe it was that summer before I entered the seminary. And I had gone up to, uh, like I was helping the priest get ready for mass. And I had a, a little bit of wine um, had spilt from the cruet. And so I wiped it up with my um, handkerchief and I put it in my back pocket. And when mass went on and mass was over and I thought, oh, maybe the Lord's going to perform a miracle and turn that wine on my handkerchief in my back pocket into the precious blood of Jesus. And I'll be associated with the, another miracle. <laughs> it didn't happen. It didn't happen. But that was my devotional sense at the time, the fervor, the devotion, the sense of I'm all in for the Lord. So cut back to Holy Thursday and I'm praying. And what would happen is, uh, the lesser souls would fall off and go home. Yes. Most would go home after just a few minutes yes. and then after an hour and two hours. Uh, and, and then towards the end, there was someone who stayed until the end. It was actually the mom of one of my younger sister's best friends. And I knew she was having a hard time. The, my sister's, one of her better friends. And the mom was weeping in anguish and i just remember that the more that people went away the more she had that sense of freedom to allow the inner anguish of her soul to be made manifest and i just remember that and just thinking i need to pray for this girl i know the girl i know the mom it must be so hard for her and like using my devotional fervor to pray for like a miracle. Come on, Jesus. I, I remember that. Do you feel like, do you feel if this happened later on in your spiritual development, you would have gone over to her and prayed with her directly? I think I went over to her and said, shh, keep it down <laughs> or leave, right? You're I, bothering the Lord. I know, really. Come on. <laughs> oh, Jesus said, funny. don't cling to him. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> But you don't think you would have gone over there? 
don't know. It seemed, about, like a, it seemed like a pretty private moment. How about now, if that was happening and you heard a lady in anguish? If I knew, if I knew the woman, right? I, I, you got to realize I was 19. She's yes. like a 50-year-old woman. That's so how old it's a I little am. bit different. <laughs> so I think that um, if, if, it, if I sensed I was supposed to, I would. I'd say, is there something I can pray for? You seem mm-hmm. to be, up, you're, you're, you're upset. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there something I can pray for? I mean, I, I will regularly pray with people um, that, I, I, that are in settings that are not associated with faith if I know that they're Catholic. Um, it happens all the time. It, it's, a, it's a much more natural thing than a dramatic thing. So that, that's, that's my first story. That's a story from my 19-year-old Holy Thursday. Um, and, and one last little effect of that was... My high school buddies, they all were Catholic, but none of them would do the Triduum. But when I um, entered the seminary, it, it led to an awakening of faith among several of my buddies. The Scott? Uh, Brian and Fitzgerald oh. and uh, Brian Hyde. Really? And, yeah. Well, Scott and Mark and then some of those others. Who's that cute girl, Angie, the nurse? Uh, Janet. Janet and, Humphreys. Um, uh, Anne Angel. Marie, Angel. Angel. Yeah. Did they go too? Uh, everybody started coming. Yeah. Was, yes. The boys went because the girls were there. I can't <sighs> be sure. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Nice. Okay. So there's my story. Oh, they were cute. But I, I, I share all that with you, brothers and sisters, just to say that there is a way in which the Triduum is an invitation to follow the Lord in a public way. There, it's an invitation to come out from the crowd and to say, we're doing something that isn't just ordinary here. And in doing that, the Lord might lead us into places in our hearts where there is anguish, places in our lives where he wants us to break open and pour out our hearts before him. And it's going to be up to us to say yes to those promptings, to step forward, to pour out. So tonight's a night. Tonight might be a night for some of you who are listening to stand up and to follow, to let him lead you into a, in a moment of intimate encounter where you will be invited to pour yourself out or receive an impouring from the Lord, a pouring in to your life. So, so Carrie, do you, are there any Holy Thursdays that jump out in, in your mind? I know we're beginning there at Holy Thursday, but uh, and, and you can think about it this way. I know there were a number of Holy Thursdays that are memorable because of the washing of the feet. For us as a For couple? For us as a family. Yes. I was wondering about that. Would you ever, as a family, do a washing of the feet in our living room? Or during a family meeting or a family prayer time, say we're going to replicate what was done in the Gospels and we're going to ask each other's forgiveness and we're going to watch each other's feet would that be odd or do you think that would be a neat tradition to start i heard a family did, do this so. what did we do during covid for holy thursday yeah holy oh thursday. yeah you're right we did wash we, each other's feet yeah i guess that was very memorable <laughs> I, guess yeah. I don't remember you yeah, we had those big bowls and yeah. we were oh that's so funny i forgot and wasn't it you had to wash the feet of the one younger than you like oh, the next I'm one down. Sure, it was something that was made sense. That was yeah. orderly. Of it something. was something. It was. It was not a matter of you got to pick. It you was get to just, ask forgiveness. Just kind of, of your went, a, went around the circle. Oh, uh, so 
Well, I think that would be kind of neat to do because... I guess my feeling on it is that... I don't know. I I don't feel like we're a washing of the feet family, um, but we could be. I mean, we do lots of other things that involve um, sacramentals. You know how we used to teach the kids, I'm sorry, I did it, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I won't do it again, no, I'll and I'll make up, up for it. it. And I'll never do it again. And I don't think we've been teaching them that in the last few years. That's and I true. don't know if the younger kids even know all those stages. And I know how pivotal having a good foundation for asking forgiveness of your spouse, of my spouse, of you, is in healing our relationship when we've hurt each other. So uh, this really doesn't have to do with washing of the feet, but it all is about the spirit of... um, Well, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he did it out of a, a, a sense of serving them. But why do we, when we wash each other's feet, do it out of a sense of forgiveness? You ask, I don't know, maybe it's a Protestant thing where you would go ask someone if you could wash their feet and say you're sorry. I, you, I, I think you're... Am I called, mixing? You're, you're <laughs> conflating. You're bringing together two things that, okay. are, that, are, that are meant to be separated. All right. So the washing of the feet was the idea that I'm taking the lowest position and I'm doing a humble act of serving you so that you would be made clean. I so, think in my years of growing up with retreats, we would ask someone if we could wash their feet, if we had harmed them or wronged them. And it was a way of showing, I'm sorry, and then a sort of humbling yourself before them and washing their feet to say, I'm your servant, or I'm here to serve you and love you as a brother or sister in Christ. And I can see those are connected. How they right? would there, connect. There's a degree of connection to say, I don't want to treat you. Instead of me wounding you with my sin, washing of the feet is about washing away sins, ultimately, right? Because it's Jesus who, in washing feet, is giving a uh, a metaphor for his death on the cross. Okay, so that makes sense. Pouring out his life. All so. right, so I'm not crazy off. Um, but I think the kids would, I think as a family, you could serve each other in that way. And I think it'd be a very beautiful thing for the older kids to wash the feet of the younger siblings or for you to wash my feet. I would like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking of, do you remember we went to, we were in California several years ago and we went to that Holy Spirit church in San Jose. Yes. And they did it where you went up and your feet were washed Oh, didn't everybody have their feet washed? Everybody got their feet washed. That was crazy. No, so they had a whole bunch of stations. Yes. So everyone got up, but you don't remember the other part. Hold on. Let me think. No, I don't. So you got up in line, and when you got up there, you got your feet washed, and then the person who washed your feet left. You went to that position, and then you washed the next person's feet. And then, then you left, and then that person went and washed feet. So it is bringing that sense of completion to the action that Jesus says, as I've done for you, I who am Lord, so you must do for each other. I've never seen that done in a Catholic service before. Right. Well, here's the thing. It's a liturgical innovation. (laughs) Leave it to those Californians. It's a novelty. (laughs) They do all sorts of crazy things there. Well, in, in... Here's the thing. It's the attempt, and this is a common attempt that has been around for the last 50 years, is when people become so accustomed with something, 
that they're just going through the motions, then it becomes hard to harder to wipe off the 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 dustiness, yes. the familiarity, and crack through and say, "Do you realize what's happening here?" For sure, yes. And so the 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 real tradition is what you you have the priest washing twelve uh, people uh, their feet in the um, uh, in the church, twelve members of the community, and so it's the priest standing in the place of Christ that Christ is the one who lays down his life for his 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 flock for his people and so this is an example of the priest giving his life for his people so that's the ideal right that's the way and, and even trace it back you have the pope washing the feet of you know priests or bishops he won't wash the feet of no, I, I don't. I'm not saying that. I don't know how they do things now at the Vatican. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure right? Pope Francis went and found a beggar on the, at the front somewhere out there, that was literally begging, saying, "I, I want you to come. Let me wash your come. feet." Well, and you know I, that would not be a surprise to That's me. That's what right, he would he do. Did that. Mm-hmm. that would be his. Go to the peripheries, right? Get the smell of the sheep on you, and you bring them in the door. Don't just say, "Here's an open door," but you go get you go out of the door and you get them to come in. So. I think that um, the kids, they weren't put off by that. It, it, it taught a new lesson, the way that they went about at that time. But here, again, folks, as you're listening to this, if you've gone to Holy Thursday Mass for a whole bunch of years or decades, it, it might be the case that the, you, know, you or, or your family members, oh yeah, here we go again. Oh yeah, here we go again. Nothing new here, nothing fresh here. No, mm-hmm. nothing to be expected here. And the maybe sometimes misguided attempts at introducing novelties uh, can take away from the essence of the liturgical action. Uh, there was there is a way in which we sometimes have to take actions internally, yes. you know, to prepare ourselves better to enter into what's actually happening. So that that you know makes us maybe stop and say what do we want to do on our way to mass tonight? When we're going to mass, what are we going to do tonight to make sure that our kids don't just float through the motions? You know what's been so great is uh for Christmas I got Mary Grace and myself the copy of the Magnificat. It's 3 months. We got it for 3 months only. It ends Holy Week. And so for Holy Week, they, you get your own booklet just for all the different readings and prayers and because it's so extensive. And it's so great to have that during Mass, to be able to pull out and read the Gospels and the readings of the Old Testament and some of the prayers. And even if on some days I'll skip ahead to a different Gospel or I'll read a Gospel from previous weeks and just ask the Lord to speak a word of truth to open my eyes to soften my heart to make come alive his word and more often than not there's some just beautiful profound moments of insight and conviction and humility and god's just so good it's very rich it is the word of god is is feeding me i feel like during the church service when i'm checking out or i get distracted i'll just go to that that book or go to the Gospels, and it's so beautiful. God is so faithful. Word of God, living and active. All right, we're up against a break. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight.
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with my wife, Kerry. It's great to walk with you through Lent and through Holy Week. Now we're entering into the sacred triduum. Kerry and I are sharing some stories about some past, uh, some past moments at Holy Thursday. And I think it's time to move to Good Friday because Good Friday has both the Stations of the Cross and uh, the, uh, the commemoration, the kissing of the cross. So I'm going to flex a little bit here. Okay. And I'm going to pull out the, the Pope. time I went to Stations of the Cross with Pope John Paul II. Saint. At the Colosseum. And I was probably only with about 50,000 other people. <laughs> and Wait, in the Colosseum? Yeah. What? That's not a church. No, I know, but he processes around. It's a, they, use a, they, they do it outside. It's so big. There's so many people. Oh, okay. Um, and I remember we were just in a crowd, just a big crowd. We. Like 30,000 people, 100,000, a million. I said 50,000. It. It's probably that's probably that's probably uh, low, mm. but it was packed. It was beautiful. It was so inspiring. Oh my goodness! And the reflections were written for that occasion by Hans Urs von Balthasar. So it was in 1988. Wait, was he alive then? He had um, just died. So he had actually written them for the yeah Pope? for the Stations of the Cross for oh my for goodness the Pope. yeah so. It was, for me, it was so meaningful because, as you know, I love Hans Urs von Balthasar, and to hear the reflections was so powerful, beautiful reflections. And, and to, to be there with the Pope as he's carrying the cross station by station uh, was incredibly, again, meaningful and memorable. Part of the reason why was I was doing a retreat with three other seminarians that uh, during that Holy Week. You know, you can do so many cool, awesome things when you're a young adult and you're not married and you have no responsibilities. And you're in Rome. You don't have to work <laughs> yeah. and you're in Rome. It just, man, I'm jealous of those kids that are in that season in their life. Mary Grace, Mary Catherine, Anne-Marie, all, all the kids that just such a relished special time. Well, and if they choose to go to the Colosseum and have... <laughs> yeah, well, wherever you are, God, God, the Lord will meet you. So you went yeah. on a retreat for a week? We, or... we just, we did it. We gave a retreat to each other. <laughs> what I think laughing? I would give you a retreat. <laughs> no, it was really neat. It was... Uh, how do you do I, that? I was with... Well, what happened was I was with John Gordon, Pat Smith, and oh, Bob McKeown. Big heavy hitters. Yeah, these... So... There are oh, my kids are four, out there trying to scare us. There are four. There were four of us, and we assigned topics to each other, and we uh, gave we gave these sharings to each other. Mm. Um, and I still remember. Of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> it was on the roof. Bob McKeown, Father Bob McKeown from Archdiocese of New York. Is he a bishop now? Or no, no, he should be. But he uh, he gave a talk on the priest as mediator. And so the mediator is the go-between. You go before God on behalf of the people and before the people on behalf of God. And he said that Jesus was so, Jesus' love for us was so consuming that he became consumable by us. He was so consumed with love for us that he became consumable by us as Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And I've used that. Is that the first time you had heard that whole? Yeah, I've never heard that before. Wow. But. 
what a powerful line. It is. And it is. I've used it now for 30 years and made pretend that I made it up. So <laughs> I guess I should confess that. Yeah, might as well say it out loud now. There's a lot of things that people just say like they, as if they came up with it. And oh, yeah. you're thinking, nothing original. oh, I've, only God is original. I did tell that to Father John Ricardo when he was on our program. I said, I've stolen some of your one-liners and insights. He's like, it's okay. I've stolen them from other theologians and priests. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. He stole a lot from me. <laughs> yeah, he, just, he, he wouldn't admit it, but that's okay. <laughs> so it's, it's better just to just to give a th- give ownership to other people, and not so, to claim it. So here's the thing: we had fasted all day on Friday. I was hungry. And this was like big deal fast. This was not minor league fast. So we had fasted all day, gone to that uh, to that long uh, stations of the cross, and I don't think I ran so fast to get back to the North American College to eat some food. <laughs> that was our one meal. It was got back and had a piece of bread, bread fresh Italian bread. It was so good. There you go. Uh, There's my memorable. Wow. My memorable um, stations of the cross. Very beautiful. Do you have any uh, either stations of the cross or kissing of the cross? Right, the, com- the the commemoration of the cross. I remember doing a retreat with the homeschooling co-op we were a part of, and <coughs> do you remember we went out to Hylobos in Federal Way, and we had marked fourteen different stations. Yes, and we walked through this. It was a darling um, above the water. What's it called? The wetlands a pathway walkway. Yeah, it was like a boarded walkway above the wetlands. Out in the woods. That is some goofy thing I came up with. But all the kids took turns doing different parts, and it was very memorable for them. They still remember that. I like that. It you, wasn't very holy. No, but didn't you have <laughs> the kids? Just outdoors. Well, no, didn't the kids like make out of popsicle yes. sticks? They made the crosses. We made like, all the, the stations. And I don't know where all my energy went. I was so amazing at doing such fun things and now i just like how did i do all that i have no idea but um that was special i think what's neat about the stations of the cross and i only was i only went to one stations this season so this will be my second one on friday and um the one i went to at saint mary's was really powerful the the scripture it was a scriptural one which i really like but um there's some really neat places to go to the stations of the cross outdoors during the season and i've just always really preferred that instead of in a church really yes like i I know it's the um what's the where we stayed at the convent immaculate Immaculate heart Heart. yeah i think there um they have the stations of the cross in the little cemetery area and so it's just being out i think for the kids it changes it up a little bit and maybe not as holy but um i don't know and then we've done the cards here at the house where we laid out all the 14 cards and just did our own in our home. Mm-hmm. So those that's not a bad way of doing it. But go ahead. What were well, you going to say? Well, and, and that's that's distinct from, not separate from, the doing of the Stations of the Cross on Good Friday. There's something oh, special yes. about doing uh, it absolutely. on Absolutely. I Good apologize. Friday. You're right, Tom. I've never made it up on Good Friday. We've always been mm-hmm. in a very holy, prayerful space. And you know people going to that service have faith. You don't just right. choose to show up and not really have a sense of this is the end of the Lenten journey and going into the passion. And so there is a really strong, palpable sense of faith and something's at stake and you're here to be... And you act differently. 
Yes. So growing up, you know, I've told you how many times we did in our home on Good Friday between 12 and 3. You you went to your bedroom Mm -hmm. and you couldn't talk. That's right. Yeah, my uh, my mom, my dad was working, so my mom would have mm-hmm. all of our kid, all the kids, go. Not if we didn't have five bedrooms, so the five kids went. To, some were in bedrooms, and then others were in other rooms, and we sat quietly for three hours. Or took a nap. <laughs> I'm not admitting to that. My mom is in heaven; she knows all now. Um, but there was a way, and I can remember her, like, like. This isn't uh, critiquing us, saying, think about Jesus dying on the cross for you. We're mm-hmm. quiet right now because these are the hours when Jesus died on the cross. Mm-hmm. So I, I I just kids, get your get off your bikes, get in the house. It's almost noon. That's what my mom would do and, too. In noon twelve to three. And so it I, I still remember it. It's just so and it was so funny because my my siblings remembered it and Anne Marie who's in Boston with our family she's like yep good Friday I guess I have to be quiet in my room for three hours all by myself and she laughed she said that's going to be hard so meaning that she doesn't mind being by herself for three hours in her room so yeah me either oh yeah okay guys everyone to your room shut the door (laughs) and be quiet leave mom alone but oh. what does that do, brothers and sisters, as you're hearing this, it's how customs, traditions in a home have meaning. They yeah. can they can communicate something that has a value to it. They communicate something that says this is not normal. This is not normal time. This is this is a time to act differently. And and our kids get it. Our kids get it because we have implemented that as well in our own home. And I just, it's something I recommend. It's something I recommend. It, we've been somewhat impacted by it because um, around here, we've found that typically either the Stations of the Cross or the commemoration of the Lord's Passion are happening at 12 or at 3. So we're not getting the full meal deal of the three hours plus three o'clock service, seven o'clock service. That's mm-hmm. the way it was growing up for me. Yes. Three hours, get to the three o'clock stations then go to the seven o'clock uh, commemoration. So, um, so that's that's Good Friday, um, and so I again I encourage you folks. That's tomorrow. Don't stumble into it. Be thinking about how am I going to foster an authentic, appropriate spirit for Good Friday. You can start off eight in the morning. Tune into Sacred Heart Radio and join Pope Francis on his Stations of the Cross. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with my wife, Carrie. We're reflecting on reminiscing, but not just reminiscing. It's not just telling a story, but telling a story in a way that connects to your faith. That's the idea here. And we're now to Easter. Uh, do you ever remember going to Easter Mass, Easter morning? I don't have any memories of we... going to Easter morning Mass. Wait, as a family or when you were growing up? Growing up. No, we always went to the vigil. Yeah. Yeah, I think I I think if um my my siblings might remember, oh no, we would go on Easter Sunday morning. But you know, I don't remember that. I take that back. I think we did. I want to say we did both. I definitely remember going to the vigils, but then now I might be mixing it up with midnight mass and Christmas. So, ah, oh, my mind. Um, but I better have a I have a better sense of doing the long vigil having all the new 
communicatechies, what do you call them, communicants? Yeah, the elect at this the point. Elect. The elect are being confirmed um, and being baptized. The elect are being baptized. The confirmandi are being confirmed. So being brought into the church. So I just have a stronger memory of, of that whole event. Um, yeah, and I Easter morning was getting your Easter basket and waiting for all the cousins to come over. I Oh, I just... I think our kids, and folks, you might, again, this might sound uh, odd if you haven't done this, but your kids will get used to it. Take them to the vigil. Take them to the vigil. It is full meal deal Catholicism. It is big deal Catholicism. It is it is a highlight. It is a highlight. And, and you might have to be a bit discerning to make sure that you're, you know, you want to go to a parish that's going to, like do it with uh, the appropriateness of the the sacredness and of the bigness of the event, but when you find that, like that that community and and that priest and that music and and the full liturgy, it is so powerful. It's so powerful in part because of what you said, Carrie. There's so many families there that are coming into the church. You know, it's just the climactic and to the the triduum to the lenten season where i think some of our greatest family spiritual highs are coming home from that vigil and knowing that well they're on spring break they have a week off the weather's warming they're so excited and their lenten obligations are are over and there is just a way in which that has some of the best joy-filled experiences of faith that are that we share as a family yeah well, and and for me, I when I think about like the the wow factor of uh, the enormity of the Easter vigil, I go back to Rome, 1989, my last year in Rome as a seminarian. At this point, I knew I was going to be leaving the seminary. It was in April, and uh, the we got a message from the Vatican saying the North American that they were asking seminarians to come and serve with Pope John Paul II at the Easter Vigil. And that would be a typical thing is they would invite the different seminary colleges in Rome to provide servers for Holy Thursday, for Good Friday, for the Easter Vigil, for Easter Sunday. And we got the vigil, the big one, the big deal. And they requested 19 servers so how would you, among 130-something seminarians, do you get the 19? Well, they pulled names out of the hat. Oh, and so everyone wanted to be a part of whoever it? Whoever wanted to be in it could, could put their name oh, in. Oh, okay. Now, I don't know how many did. I don't think it was 20, right? It was, it was a big deal because everyone was staying in Rome until Easter. Okay. So why wouldn't you want to do that? Most and of you're them, studying to be a priest. So. And you're studying to be a priest. You're right. <laughs> I guess you'd, you'd want to do I think you probably, yeah. What else are you doing? <laughs> right? You're not know. watching a soccer oh. game, right? So my name got picked. So I remember, I still remember how exciting it was for the 19 of us. We met at the front door of the North American College, and we walked down together, and we met up with the uh, the head liturgist, uh, the master of ceremonies, this bishop. And he started to give instructions. The problem was he was talking to Americans in Rome in Italian. And he's trying to give instructions regarding, here's what your job is, here's what your job is. And 
they're looking at him thinking, I don't know quite what to do. So I started to translate for him. And he appreciated that so much. He gave me the best task. Wait, wait, the best task. What would the best task be for a seminarian? For a server. Right. Server. Servers, you could ca- candle, you can carry candle, a candle, you right? pass out pamphlets. Carry the cross, right? That's a big deal. You're like among all the jobs that you do can you have do. Yeah, candle bearers. Yeah, candle bearers, and they had the cross bearer, and they had the. I'm not even sure. Are you, had, you're not up on the altar, are you? Hold on. Doing. Yeah, no, I'm. I mean, there's altar jobs too. Yeah. Like this. Oh, right. Yeah. You'd bring up the bishops. You'd, you'd bring pre- up the, uh, the water and wine, the okay. cruets, or to wash the hands. Uh, there's someone who's holding the microphone. <laughs> that's, that's a big job. That was a big job because <laughs> they were going to be on TV right, a lot. Oh, They'd be okay. Right up close, right next to the Pope, holding the microphone in, in his face. Good-looking seminary. So I, uh, I got to be the, the hat bearer. The title is the, is the miter bearer. So the miter bearer was the one when, you know, the Pope's hat, he would take it off during certain moments of the celebration. And when he did the master of ceremonies would take it off and then he'd turn and I'd come over and he'd hand it to me and then I'd go back and I would hold the miter. And I got to do that from up at the top of the high altar. So uh, at that top level of the high altar, which you just don't get to go up there. And so I was up there for three hours holding his hat and it was so amazing. Was the church just packed? 15,000 people. It was completely full. That's just how many they can full. fit? Yeah, something like that. Oh, my goodness. Completely full. And from beginning to end, it was so memorable. Some of the little details were so memorable that like, when we got in there, we uh, on Holy Saturday itself on the, at the vigil, we got there, I don't know, an hour early, and we had to meet up where they were going to put people in procession, which is if you just go in St. Peter's through the main doors uh, and you enter St. Peter's, it's to the right. There's a little side chapel area where they had all the liturgical ministers gather. Well, it's behind plexiglass. Plexiglass, why do they have plexiglass in one of these side chapels? Because behind the plexiglass is the Pieta of Michelangelo. So this most famous sculpture, the Pieta, right? The Blessed Mother holding the, the body of Jesus coming down from the cross. People can only look at it from a distance. Okay. I touched it. Oh. And I my. said, Tom was here. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I did not. I did not. Tom um, was here. But I did touch it. I mm-hmm. said, I'm going to touch the Pieta, which was pretty cool. And I got to walk around it. So I, mm-hmm. I just was like, I'm going to look at the Pieta from a- uh, angles that other people just don't get to see the Pieta mm-hmm. from, which was so powerful. And then uh, the Master of Ceremonies tapped me on the shoulder and said, there's the Pope's Vesting Chapel. You have to go in there to meet with him. And I'm like, yeehaw. So I went in first early. I went in early. I was the only one in, the, in his little Vesting Chapel. You're so current. Oh, man, it was so amazing. <laughs> And I saw, you know, some of the liturgical vestments he was wearing. So there was a couple of very special pins that would hold his um, his particular type of stole that he would have on. So I put those in my pocket. He did not. And I took them back out. <laughs> I prayed. Imagine all this, all the Instagramming you all would have been doing, all the oh, social live media. live streaming. Here I am. Taking oh, photos. Oh, that would be you so. You put the miter on your hat. You put it that on your so head. crazy. Look at me. Oh, my, oh gosh. my goodness. Well, it 
in any case, then he comes down. The other ministers, came, the other liturgical ministers came in, and then the Pope came down, greeted us all, and then to watch him become vested for mm-hmm. Mass, he was, his eyes were fixed on the crucifix. He was dialed in, just focused on Christ crucified as he was getting vested, and it just like it was palpable in mm-hmm. in, in this tiny chapel. The, the the holiness that radiated from him was so beautiful, powerful. Anyways, we then uh, came out, and, and I got to be behind him. So, you know, everything, everybody is lined up by rank. And so the Pope is last because he's the highest rank, mm-hmm. and then I'm behind the Pope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just because that's where I was accompanying him, because mm-hmm. when they would need the hat, I would be right there. Did your parents watch it on TV? No, uh, no, no, it was... Um, was it like... Uh, oh, you know what? Um, I told them about it, but they couldn't find it. They weren't airing it oh, on TV, but I got pictures. Right. I got photos that's of so it. Sweet. So I could go on and on about the whole uh, Easter Vigil, but that was that was the most memorable, as you can imagine. And the amazing thing was, like 30 years later, I was giving a talk on this at uh, Our Lady Star of the Sea in Bremerton, no, Holy Trinity in Bremerton. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about being there at Mass and walking behind the Pope and just being amazed at it. This guy comes up to me and says, I was assigned at the naval station uh, south of Rome, and I went up to Rome to be part of that Mass, the uh, Holy Week, and I took a picture of the Pope. Mm-hmm. And he showed me the picture. There was the Pope, and behind it was me. That is so... Is that weird? Crazy? Did he know? Like when he saw you, he's like, "This must be him." No, As a, no, no. He, he couldn't didn't remember. Tell. He didn't. Re- he went back and looked at the picture after I told the oh, story, and he brought showed it in. It to you, and you said, "That's me." I said, is it, "Look, that I'll show you something." That is so funny. Isn't that amazing? Oh. Yeah. So, God can do surprising, amazing things, right? To to break into our lives, to show His holiness, and and that's our hope and prayer for you. That that will be your experience this Triduum. All right, God bless your day. Join me on Monday of Easter week for more Sun Insight.